This is Cost of Goods Sold, a podcast about why the products that make a difference are made. I'm your host, Jennifer Myers Chua, and I believe you can use your business or purchasing choices to cause a change you'd like to see in the world. Join me for conversations with intentional entrepreneurs, thoughtful designers, and responsible creators and curators building for-profit companies that create positive social and environmental change. This episode is brought to you by Hip Mummies, carefully curated wholesale merchandise for modern retail. If you want to stock your shelves with brands that are socially responsible and sustainable, or if you want to be a part of the collection that is delighting Canadian retail, visit hitmummies.ca. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You're listening to Cost of Goods Sold with Jennifer Myers Chua, episode 11. On today's episode, we're going to do something a little different and revisit the last 10 episodes. The first 10 episodes of the podcast, focusing on the highlights. These are the moments where I learned something really eye-opening from each guest, but we've also included some moments that you, the listeners, have commented were really inspiring. So if you missed an episode or if you're just discovering this project, this is a great way to get an overview of what we've learned so far and see which episodes you may want to go back to and listen. I'll also be sharing some of the actionable tips we learned from each episode to help make thoughtful choices as a consumer. And if you want to live a more sustainable life, or if you want to use your business or buying power to give back, or if you just want to learn about really, really, really great brands doing some really, really, really interesting things, this is the place to be. In the very first episode, episode one, we meet Rebecca Saha. She's a kindergarten teacher and the founder of Tiny Toy Co. With her business, Rebecca repurposes tiny plastic toys that would otherwise go into landfill into educational kits. And part of Rebecca's mission is to encourage children to do things differently and become a different kind of consumer. And through her upcycled educational kits and her hands-on educational workshops, Rebecca is taking her background in early childhood education and her commitment to sustainability and doing just that. In this episode, Rebecca had a lot to share about good intentions, why we need to be mindful as consumers about what we are buying, and where items like those drive through toys will actually go if we donate them. But one thing that Rebecca touched on that really stood out to me was about upcyclers the businesses that use found or donated materials and repurpose those into other goods. And if we can see the benefits of a circular economy, that's one thing. But in order for this to really work, we need to purchase these upcycled goods, even if at a higher cost, because donating our unwanted materials isn't enough. There's this presumption that the way to help these businesses, that the way to help the movement is to contribute your your junk, contribute your stuff. And while that's important too, the best way that you can help the movement is to buy the end product. Until we shop differently, nothing's going to change. If you give me your bags and bags of toy junk 
and you feel great about the fact that it's going to be reused instead of going to landfill, that's amazing. But if you follow that by heading to the toy store or the dollar store or the takeout lane and refilling it up, refilling your your playroom with the same junk, with the same stuff at the same volume, then, then you haven't interrupted the cycle. You've perpetuated the cycle. And so I think... What's really important for for the movement, the reuse movement, the upcycling movement to succeed is for people to support it financially at the at the other end. People need to purchase things differently as well as contributing to the to the intake of these circular businesses. When working on this episode, I think I was most astonished to learn that McDonald's gives out 1.5 billion toys in their Happy Meals each year. And if you're choosing the book alternative, which is what we've done in the past, note that that plastic wrapping on the books, that contributes to hundreds of tons of plastic a year as well. It's just a lot of waste. And if you want to take action now, here are some tips from this episode. Number one, be mindful of what tiny breakable plastics you bring into your home, noting that most cannot be recycled. Number two, consider eco-friendly alternatives to loot bags or get the upcycled ones like Tiny Toy Co.'s Reloot Bag. And number three, look for upcycled alternatives to things that you need for your home. There are some clever and sustainable solutions out there. It may take a little more digging, but you can get things even like countertops made from old chopsticks. Marin Stern Kubista was also looking for an alternative to tiny plastic toys or sugary treats, and we meet her in episode two. Marin wanted to give her children that advent calendar experience without all of the treats. And taking inspiration from moments in her life when she experienced kindness, Marin developed a countdown-style calendar focused on giving back. Her brand is called My Kindness Calendar, and her acts of kindness are meaningful, beautiful even, and you never know the impact that something's going to make on someone short-term or long-term. It's powerful. Marin is growing the brand into one that supports children year-round with mindfulness activities that cultivate kindness. And because she says kids are awesome, open, and these kind of activities are particularly important after all they've been through over the last couple of years in this pandemic. I am always aware of the potential of kids. I am never surprised to see kids doing amazing things because I think that's the default. Like, I think the default is you're awesome and you're amazing. Now, like we as society and in our culture, like we just need to enable that. We need to create opportunity for kids to be amazing because they're so creative and like they're so intrinsically, there's so much good there that it just needs to be fostered and released and everyone's going to develop into the people they're meant to be. But when we can do our part of giving them opportunity and encouraging them when they do positive things and helping them understand when things are challenging and when different choices could be made in challenging moments. Like that's just enabling them to live through their potential. So I'm for sure hopeful and talk about resilience, what kids are going through right now. There's no doubt that it's having a humongous cost on everybody's mental health, like parents, and kids. This is the story of life, right? People go through things that they should never have to go through that are super challenging. And that can be really deflating and it can be very upsetting. 
And it can also be a chance. I choose to see difficult moments as an opportunity to really build resilience. This episode had me considering my own traditions, particularly surrounding the holidays. And Martin pointed out how early children understand the concept of receiving gifts and then that expectation of gifts at certain occasions. Giving to others and creating special opportunities for kindness, that is something that is more meaningful to me. But how have I been modeling this to my child and how can we build more meaningful traditions around giving? It's worth a thought. Want to take action now? It sounds simple, but the easiest thing you can do to spread kindness is to be kind. Want to brighten someone's day today? Here's a tip. Marin says that one of the most popular of her kindness activities and the one that she sees shared most on social media is baking cookies and bringing them to a friend. In episode three, we chat with Kimberly West, who is someone that I've followed for a long time since the early days of her business, Kid Swag. I'm endlessly impressed by Kimberly and her shop. It's a purpose-driven e-commerce brand, and she's built Kid Swag around the idea of mindful representation. With her business, she's made a big impact in the lives of BIPOC children who don't generally see themselves represented in the toy aisle. And out of all of the episodes featured here, I think this is the one where we learn most about the founder. Kimberly digs deep into her past, events that have shaped how she sees the world this way, and we get a really good understanding of her why. Why she is on a mission to help raise confident kids that appreciate difference. I don't think people recognize or understand the psychological impact of not seeing yourself. One of the things that I did as I delved more into kids swag was reading a lot more and I came across a study and it was saying by the age of three, and it happens earlier, but age three is quite pivotal. By the age of three, your child is really understanding their world based off of race. So they're categorizing people and giving them certain characteristics and traits. So this basically, this is the beginning of stereotyping at age three. And so you can imagine if in that period of time, they haven't seen themselves, they're also characterizing themselves as being something that's less than or not really part of the world that they're in. If it is a child that's white and they're seeing themselves, then it makes it that much harder for them to even, as they get older, for them to acknowledge or understand the pain that probably someone that doesn't look like them has experienced their whole life. Because in their world, it would be a feeling of like, why does race matter? It's not really a construct. Why can't we all be the same? They've had the luxury of being able to identify as just being themselves more so than being white. This episode had so many light bulb moments And so many things that I haven't considered as a white woman or a white business owner or a mother, even though I'm raising a multiracial child. And Kimberly is a really special gift when it comes to marketing and how she engages her community. Her customers are instant ambassadors for her brand. I just adore Kimberly's approach. And I really appreciate the stories that she told in this episode. It's it's really worth a listen. And if you want to take action now, here are some tips from this episode. All of us have the opportunity to teach our children to be open and celebrate differences. A great way to start, fill your home library with books featuring a variety of voices 
and stories from people all over the world. Number two, want to see representation in the toy aisle? Speak up. Large brands are beginning to take notice and make changes based on consumer demand. And number three, if you're a creator or a curator, you need to be mindful of bias in product design and shop curation too. In episode four, I spoke a bit about Hip Mummies and how we came to be and why we've made some of the choices that we have. In the past seven years, we've taken our distribution business into a brand new direction, putting the planet and our communities first when making decisions. It's been a long road filled with a lot of learnings and our business just turned 17. And I share a number of things that we learned along the way, particularly in the last seven years since I've been involved. And I won't go into the recap here, but if you're interested in rebuilding a business or family business dynamics or value-based business or even the world of product-based business or the baby products industry, it's all in this episode. But to leave you with one thing, Do your research. Make sure what you are buying is tested safe, authentic, all of that. And if you don't have the time, shop with a reputable seller who does that work for you. Sustainability, safety, it's all very expensive. So if a deal sounds too good to be true, it just might be. April McKinnon from Anointment is who we meet in episode five. She's been making handmade personal care products in the Maritimes for over 12 years. She bought her business, a farmer's market soap company, and she had some really interesting insights to share about that, about buying a business and if it was a good investment over just starting a business on her own. And over the years, April has made a lot of changes and some mistakes, and she's now the owner of a thriving natural skincare brand, which is available across Canada and in some larger natural retailers like Whole Foods. April's a former environmental engineer, and her homestead and apiary are on this incredibly beautiful marshland in the east coast of Canada. So she also had a lot to share about how she's inspired by that unique landscape and how her business really interacts with the natural world. She also very bravely shared that her time spent in the NICU with her daughter with critical illness was the inspiration to give back. And that the PPE and the waste created during that stay was something that had really stuck with her and helped create the values that this business is based on. But what got me about this episode was that April talks about the value chain, about how she sources her ingredients, why she chooses the partner she does, and what that means to us as conscious consumers when we are deciding between Two potential purchases. I'm a huge proponent of relationship-based business. Shea butter is a great example. I, I work with a with a supplier that purchases directly from a women's co-op in Ghana. And so you can see from their videos and from their newsletters what's happening in the village where the shea butter is produced. The fact that the women there have been able to send their children to school because this is the income that they are making from selling the shea butter. And so I really like that for the social responsibility aspect. For someone starting out, you really have to define your define your ethics, define your values within your business and don't deviate. 
So spending time thinking about those things is really important, I think. There are some companies who, for whom success is measured by bottom line and other companies for whom success is measured in their work-life balance and other people for whom success is measured by something else completely. So knowing that is often enough to kind of drive how you decide to purchase. Want to take action now? Here are some tips from this episode. Number one, look online before you buy. Sites like EWG allow you to look in the potential safety risks of personal care products. Now, these databases are not perfect, but they can give you some insight into what ingredients are in the products you're using. Look at the ingredients, though, not the verified label, because those are paid opportunities. So just be mindful of that. Number two, passionate about a particular cause. April's brand supports women through pregnancy, postpartum, through a number of ways. It's possible to shop with a brand who have great products and values that align with yours. And number three, if you're in business or looking to start a business, it's tempting to make something for everyone. But April points out that it's best to define your ethics, define your values within your business, and don't deviate. And over the years, April's offering has gotten smaller and more focused She suggests niching down, niching down, and niching down again. In episode six, we chatted with Lisa Nguyen from Bobbles and Souls. Lisa's toddler shoes are made of this innovative material of sea salt and soy that are 100% recyclable. And with interchangeable bobbles, really cute hearts and animals and things like that, You can give the shoe a completely new look with just a twist. Additional features like water resistance make Bobbles and Soles incredibly multi-purpose and makes them really the top choice of anyone looking to buy less shoes for their little one. In this episode, Lisa also gave us a bit of insight into building her business and making it onto Shark Tank. And she also chats about her Heart and Souls Fund, a giving back program, which was inspired by her childhood as a refugee and then time spent in Southeast Asia doing pro bono legal work for stateless peoples. What I found interesting about this conversation was Lisa's insight into domestic manufacturing, lower carbon footprint, less shipping, greater chance that the workers are being paid fairly, and less chance of environmental catastrophes. Our laws are just stricter here in North America. But oftentimes businesses go overseas right away because they don't think there is another option or that it can be cost-effective to manufacture close to home. I was doing this research when we were preparing for Shark Tank. And one of the things that a CEO that I was working with at the time, she pointed out, listen, your effective margins is actually better than if you had manufactured it overseas. And here she is talking about the turnaround time for this product, the time that it, so you have to pay for these products, but then it sits at sea for a month before it gets to to America. And also like we have the ability to maybe place a lower MOQ, minimum order quantity, when it's made here domestically because it doesn't have to go so far. When you manufacture offshore, you have to plan out your inventory six to 12 months in advance and then you order accordingly. And then your cash goes out as, as you're waiting for it to come in. So in actual fact, your margins, like the margins is actually higher than you realize because of the amount of time that it takes and and how much money you have sitting in inventory and then you have to sell out of the inventory. For us here, we have the flexibility of a lower MOQ, uh, minimum order quantity. And so then our effective margin is actually, I think, 
if not lower than the same as if we had chosen to make it offshore. If you think about the cost of goods sold in there, maybe you add marketing because people feel good about that and, and people feel like quality is there because it is made here. So then that's actually a little bit of marketing funds that's already built into the product. Less than 0.1% of shoes purchased in North America are made in North America. And the majority of shoes sold in North America are not recyclable. Many shoe brands that claim recyclability are really just taking shoes back and redistributing them, meaning they're donated to populations overseas. So that's a lot of international travel for just one pair of shoes. Top tips from this episode, look for multi-purpose shoes for your little one. Toddlers and preschoolers may go through two sizes and six or more pairs of shoes per size in a year. Another thing to look for with kids' shoes, machine washable. Some shoes are made with plastics and glues that don't hold up well in the washing machine. And kids' shoes get dirty. In episode seven, we met with Megan Takeda Tully from Supply. This episode was fascinating and really eye-opening. We talked about how much takeout waste is actually created, how that waste is managed, and what the environmental and health effects are from our obsession with convenience. And I think out of all of the last 10 episodes, this is the one that affect my habits in my personal life the most. And if you haven't already listened to this one, it's worth it. Because if you get takeout at all, it's, it's worth a listen. The plastic waste from takeout, it's extreme. Because even before the pandemic, in Canada alone, we were already throwing out 3 million tons of plastic waste. And only 9% of that is actually recycled. The majority of our takeout containers are still made of styrofoam and black plastic, both of which are not recyclable in most parts of the country. So it ends up in landfills along with billions of plastic utensils and about 29,000 tons of plastic food waste, ends up in our natural environment. We find it in forests, washed up on beaches, stuff like that. So Megan is taking on a really huge issue. Who is responsible? Is it on us as the consumer? The restaurants who are choosing the styrofoam? Or should our municipalities get involved, giving subsidies for alternatives? A lot of people assume that because restaurants are using single-use containers that they don't care about the environment and that that's not a priority for them. The reality is, is that the restaurant business is so cost-sensitive. It's such a low-margin business. Despite wanting to do what they can for the environment, sometimes even the more environmentally friendly single-use options they're too expensive for some of these restaurants, right? And if it's between like surviving or not, then they kind of have to survive. But if there's an alternative that works with them as supply aims to do and really partner and understand what their pain points are and try and solve those in a way that's cost effective for them and really that we have buy-in from them on the model, I think there's a lot to be gained there. One of the other surprising pieces of, of kind of building supply and everything that I, I hadn't really counted on is, is how much individuals care about this and want it to succeed. I think that now we're building much more community and it's not just zero wasters. It's, it's a community that supports each other to help build this momentum and I, th I think that's awesome. And it's so, so refreshing and energizing. And 
that's something that I really hadn't anticipated. The willingness of our consumer base to give feedback and help us build this, because that was my intention from the beginning. It's a service and product service that is built from the grassroots up. And I think that's the way to, to form these sorts of initiatives. And I think that sets you up well for building something that really tackles the, the issues that people are, are seeing. Top tips from this episode. Number one, if you're in Toronto, please sign up for Supply. Megan is on a very important mission, and this is an easy and affordable way to make big impact. If not, seek out restaurants that are using reusable containers or that will pack your food into a container that you've brought. Number two, avoid takeout containers if you can. The forever chemicals that keep these waterproof are leaching into our waterways and bloodstreams and causing a lot of problems. And number three, make noise. Tell your local restaurants that you want an alternative. Call your city councilor because this is really an area that we need to take action. Melita from Q for Quinn is our guest in episode eight. After an impressive career in the financial world, Melita followed her father's footsteps into the world of entrepreneurship, creating organic cotton basics like socks for children. Initially, she was concerned about toxins and dyes that were causing her son to have eczema, but now the focus of the business is more than that. Melita's factories are Ocotex certified, and she uses GOT certified cotton. In this episode, we learn what all of that means and why it's so important. And Melita also touches on her give back program as well, where she donates meals to children in the developing world. And in this episode, we talk all about organics, fast fashion, what's really in our clothes, who's making them. And Melita explains externalities, which is a concept in economics that explains how we determine the true cost of a product. And this isn't exactly the challenge I find being a business owner, trying to create a best possible product, but it ends up being at a much higher cost than an alternative. I wouldn't even say competition because it's not the same product. It's more an alternative, right? Well, I have an undergraduate degree in economics and I won't get into too much of the jargon, but I I will try to explain this. You might understand the concept of the demand and supply curve intersecting in order to get to the free market price of of something. It's called the equilibrium. What happens if the demand curve or the supply curve is not accurate? It does not truly take into account, as far as the supply curve is concerned, the true cost of something. For the demand curve, you've got to look at it from a benefit perspective. So if the demand curve does not take into account the true benefit of something, or the supply curve does not take into account the true cost of something, you get the wrong price by society. There is something called externalities, which occurs when the full true cost or benefit of a market is not reflected in the market economics of it. So what that leads to is the wrong price from a negative externalities perspective. It's the wrong price and overproduction. And this is exactly the problem with fast fashion. It's the same problem that we have with pollution. It's it's the same concept. So with the supply curve for fashion, generalizing the market a little bit, or it's just say for socks, if the cost doesn't incorporate the social costs of the workers who have to produce, who are exposed to these you know, pesticides and chemicals, if it doesn't take into account the environmental costs of these pesticides and chemicals, 
then you are going to get a, a lower price, but the wrong price. And if you're looking to source that, that takes into account all of this, the sourcing price is going to be higher. And, and so that, that is exactly why if we pay attention to all this, we have to source at a higher cost and the price ends up being higher for a consumer. By buying a product, you are making sure you are paying the true cost of the product and not a lower cost where somebody else or even your own children end up paying the price for Want to take action now? Here are some tips from this episode. Number one, look for GOT certified organic cotton, especially if buying for anyone with skin issues or eczema. Number two, if you're choosing fast fashion because of the price, consider things like cost per use. Durable items can be used many more times, are often available to be resold or passed on. And number three, consider the cost when you're looking to make a purchase. You can reach out to brands and ask about their worker policies or how things are made. Number nine, Emma Roman is a toxics expert. She helps people make greener, healthier choices in their homes. And because she's been studying things like water systems and chemicals for decades, I wanted to ask her questions about all of the goods that we are buying and bringing into our homes. Now, this episode goes into all of the things that we never consider about what is in the goods that we are buying. But we also get into who is regulating what makes it onto shelves, how that's really a system that's failing us at this moment, and how all of this affects us and our health in the long term. Essentially, environmental health or environmental medicine looks at the impact external factors have on our health. When it comes to consumer goods, we can think of them impacting our space. Everything that we are putting on our skin has the potential to be absorbed. What we put in our air, we breathe in. And what's in our food and our drink, we ingest. So there's three pathways. And a lot of the kind of conversation around toxics got pushed to the side because most conventional practitioners would say, oh, well, the dose makes the poison. We don't need to be concerned because there's such small amounts and our bodies have detoxification systems. They're not going to cause a health impact. Where environmental health comes into play, environmental medicine, we're not just looking at isolated exposures to things. There are toxins literally everywhere. At this point, it's not about going toxin-free. We can't but it's lowering the exposure as much as possible and supporting our body's system so that they can better handle what they can't control. So when we think of the way that our environment affects our health, it is varied. And that's what makes it such a challenging field of study because every body handles things differently. But essentially you can consider your body's systems like a barrel. It's a contained volume. And when we are exposed to certain toxins or stressors, this adds to our toxic load. If your body systems cannot process these toxins and stressors fast enough at the rate that they're coming in, they end up overflowing into our bloodstream, into our body. Some of them get reabsorbed into our fat and it can cause cellular damage. It can cause hormone disruption. Hormone disruption is one of the main things that I talk about because it is so widespread. We know that some toxins are contributing to cancer, asthma, and allergies. It's vast, but that's the crux of how the environment affects us. 
Top tips. Emma suggests asking questions, reaching out to the manufacturer or the shop and ask about the ingredients. The manufacturers that have safety top of mind, they're expecting this, they have the information available, and they're happy to help. Number two, be mindful when shopping online. What you think you're ordering might not be what shows up at your door. Counterfeits are rampant, especially online, and counterfeiters cut corners to keep costs down. Skipping things like safety, fair wages, and using cheaper and maybe toxic ingredients. Number three, if you're overwhelmed and you don't know where to start, if you look at the show notes on thecostofgoodsold.com, you can link to Emma's podcast and to her blog where she gives actionable tips to make all of this less overwhelming. Born and raised in one of my favorite places in the world, Prince Edward Island, I've been wanting to meet Sheena Russell for ages, and I finally get to in episode 10. Her popular snack food brand made with local is everywhere in Canadian grocery stores. Her bars are delicious, nutritious, and Sheena is like the model of someone who has taken social entrepreneurship seriously. Her innovative business model creates impact in so many ways. It influences how she sources ingredients, who she partners with, and who makes and packages the bars. Now, I loved how Sheena claims her business doesn't have this traditional founder story with this aha moment. Instead, she remained open. And all of these experiences, these opportunities have kind of fallen into her lap. It's been serendipitous, like fate. And it's a great story. Our conversation led to a moment where Sheena had to shift her mindset. I've had a similar shift with my own business. And this mindset is about big box or big grocery. It's tempting as a small business to make all of your sales to small businesses and independence and support that. But if you're really truly, but if you're truly looking to make an impact, mass retail might be the place to go. Because every time that Sheena sells a pallet of goods to Costco, she's supporting that many more Canadian farmers and the workers in her social impact bakery. Every dollar spent with the big box is a dollar that's going directly back into our community. Our bars are all handmade in partnership with social enterprise bakeries that help to train and employ folks who are living with some type of disability or barrier to the mainstream workforce. They're actually producing these products, right? And, and it creates this beautiful ripple effect out into their lives, their families, their communities. So with that, like those two things married, which is the what it's made of and the how it's made produces this product that has this like very quantifiable, very real social impact that that goes out in all directions. I value this and our thousands and thousands of Canadian customers value this because they want to nourish their bodies with foods that align with their personal values and their viewpoints in the world. And they have this sense that food, because of all of these things, the food is going to nourish you in a different kind of way than some other kind of like mass produced bars that are made with kind of meant ingredients. It's a different experience, I believe. And that's what I want people to feel. Like I want people to have this feeling when they're eating one of our made with local real food bars that it is experience that connects them to their community. Want to take action now? Here are some tips from this episode. Number one, shopping for snacks. You want to avoid things like unpronounceable ingredients and palm oil. 
Palm oil is terrible. It's not healthy for you or the planet. And the industry has contributed to things like the extinction of a number of species, mass deforestation, and it's found in a lot of snack bars. So look out for that. Number two, if you're looking to build a social enterprise business or a values-driven company, scaling up isn't selling out. It's increasing the size of your impact. So maybe give Costco a chance. And lastly, if you want to make sure you're supporting a company that really is creating impact, look for B Corp certification. It's rigorous. And B Corps have a legal requirement to put the planet and people before profit. If you joined us through the first 10 episodes of Cost of Goods Sold, I'd just like to thank you so much for listening and helping to amplify the voices of these brands that are really, truly making a difference. And if you have the opportunity to share one of these episodes with a friend or a family member of yours that you think could really learn something from this, we would be forever grateful. And I know the brand owners would be as well. You can access all episodes of the Cost of Goods Sold podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can visit thecostofgoodsold.com where we have show notes and transcripts from each episode and all of the links and social media profiles of all of the brands featured. So if you want to connect with them, you can find the links on our website. This episode was brought to you by Hip Mummies, carefully curated wholesale merchandise for modern Canadian retail. If you want to stock your shelves with carefully vetted, proven safe and thoughtfully designed brands, or if you're looking for Canadian distribution and representation, visit hipmummies.ca. Thank you for joining us this week. If you want to find out more about this episode or any of the previous episodes, please visit thecostofgoodsold.com. Have a founder story that you think we should feature? Reach out on Twitter or Instagram at ofgoodsold. My name is Jennifer Myers-Chua, and you've been listening to Cost of Goods Sold, the podcast.